Little Rock. With her mother's help, Elizabeth Eckford made a beautiful dress for her first day at a new high school in Little Rock, Arkansas. She could not have known when she put it on the morning of September 4, 1957, that she would wear it throughout history in one of the most famous pictures of the civil rights era. The photograph shows the black teenager whose fear and determination can be read behind her dark glasses, being hounded by a mob of equally dressed white girls and white mothers, their faces twisted with hatred. Elizabeth had gotten separated that morning from the rest of the Little Rock Nine. Six teenage girls and three boys who were the first black students to attend the Arkansas Capitol's Central High School. She had not been alerted to the students' group plan because her family did not have a telephone. The night before, Elizabeth had read her Bible, taking comfort from the 27th Psalm. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Still, her knees shook as she made her lonely way past the jeering crowd down the longest block I've ever walked in my whole life. A kind-looking old woman spat in her face. Elizabeth made it to the school entrance. There she was blocked by uniformed National Guardsmen with bayonets. The National Guard is an army under the control of the state, what is called up in emergencies. White spectators screamed, lynch her, lynch her. One white woman, Grace Lorch, the wife of a teacher at a local black college, came to Elizabeth's rescue, accompanying her home on a city bus. This was a remarkable scene from many angles. Little Rock, proud of its reputation for racial harmony, had been the first southern city to announce its willingness to obey the Brown decision. Arkansas's governor, Orville Faubus, had been considered a political friend of blacks, yet it was he who called out the National Guard against the Little Rock Nine. What may have prompted Faubus's rash, racist stand was his concern that he would not be reelected because of the previous racial progressive positions. This was said to be the first time since the Civil War that a state had militarily blocked the will of the federal government. Thurgood Marshall and the NAACP lawyers involved in the case made the connection between this crisis and the Arthur and Lucy case the previous year. They believed Faubus's defiance had been invited by President Dwight D. Eisenhower's failure to protect Lucy at the University of Alabama as well as his failure to hide his general displeasure with the Brown decision. Neither Elizabeth Eckford nor the eight other black students got past the National Guard and the rabid adults that day, or for the next two and a half weeks. Their second attempt to enter Central High on September 23rd set off a white riot. The next day, President Eisenhower did what he had failed to do for Arthur and Lucy. He sent in the riot-equipped 101st Airborne Division of the United States Army. Soldiers wearing uniforms of war to take nine kids to school in an American city. Daisy Bates, a local newspaper editor, the head of the state NAACP, and a mother hand to the Little Rock Nine walked onto her lawn, looked up into the sky, and saw the troops being flown in. I heard the deep drone of big planes, she said, and it sounded like music to my ears. On September 25th, the Little Rock Nine were carried to school in Army Jeeps, Equipped with machine guns, helicopters chopped the sky overhead. At first, having paratroopers as their personal guards made the teenagers feel that democracy was working. Oh, look at them. They're so soldierly, said Minna Jean Brown, one of the students. But that feeling didn't last. Central High soon became what another student, Melba Patillo, called a hellish torture chamber. For the rest of the school year, the Little Rock Nine were called bad names, threatened with dynamites or acid squirted from toy guns, bombarded with firecrackers, slammed into lockers and pushed downstairs. 
They occasionally cried, considered quitting, or verged on nervous breakdowns. I wish I were dead, Melba wrote in her diary. Minna Jean Brown, a target of particular meanness because she wanted to sing in the school chorus, finally called a girl who cursed her white trash. Minna Jean was expelled and was welcomed by a high school in New York. Printed cards began to appear around Little Rock. One down, eight to go. All eight black teenagers made it to the end of the year. When Ernest Green, the only senior among them, rose to receive his diploma at a graduation ceremony attended by police officers, soldiers, Daisy Bates, and Martin Luther King Jr., he was greeted with dead silence. It was an improvement, at least, over the slurs Green had heard throughout the school year. Civil rights milestones like the desegregation of Central High often have the immediate effect of worsening conditions they were intended to remedy. The fall after the crisis, the public schools did not open in Little Rock. They remained closed for the entire 1958-1959 school year. Children who could not afford private school or arrange to attend schools outside the city, including the seven remaining teens of the Little Rock Nine, lost a year of education. In the meantime, Governor Faubus was reelected by a landslide, a national poll selected in one of the 10 most admired men in America. For the remainder of the 1950s, the civil rights movement, born with the Montgomery bus boycott, searched in vain for a follow-up to that marvelous beginning. Black advances had only made the segregationists meaner. In Montgomery, the city government closed down all the public parks in defiance of a court order to desegregate them. Over in Mississippi, the white citizens' councils practically ran the state government. But even experiences that seemed thankless at the time ended up as landmarks of human progress. The Little Rock Nine are remembered as trailblazing heroes. For all their suffering before and during the crisis at Central High, they went on to lead remarkably productive and successful lives. Melba Patillo became a reporter for NBC News. Ernest Green was an assistant secretary of labor under President Jimmy Carter. Another of the young men, Terrence Roberts, received his PhD and taught at the University of California at Los Angeles. All are celebrated in Little Rock, though Elizabeth Eckford, a social worker, is the only one who made that city her home.